Good evening. Welcome to our third session of Unlocked Revelation. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings. We know that it's been rainy and it's probably kept quite a few people away. We ask a blessing upon them too and that they'll be back joining with us soon. But Lord, tonight as we open your word, as we contemplate on the word of God, that the spirit of God will come into our hearts and fill us. Lord, we ask for understanding and I ask for clarity that I may be able to Explain these things in a way that people will understand. Now grant us thy guidance, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I just want to mention to those who were not here before, how many are here for the first time tonight? Okay. Last time, we talked about the uh, most, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most fantastic prophecies in the Bible That was Daniel 2, where God outlines the entire history of the world with 100% accuracy over the last 2,600 years. And it's from this prophecy of Daniel that we find Revelation draws a lot of its imagery. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the war behind all wars. Now, when we were talking in last time, we said that there were wars. Matter of fact, one nation followed another as they went to war, right? But most people don't realize that be, behind human wars, there's an or, another war going on, a war between good and evil. There's, it's sometimes this cosmic war is called the Great Controversy. And it's between the forces of Satan and the forces of Christ. And tonight we're going to delve into that because that is a very important theme in the book of Revelation. So tonight, let's go ahead. Officially, World War II began on September 1st, 1939 when Germany invaded Poland. Within two days... France and Great Britain got into the war. It took about a week for Canada to get into the war. The United States took two years to get into the war. And it wasn't until December 7, 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, that the United States finally came into the conflict. Most people pretty much are familiar with that and what happened at Pearl Harbor. But you know, the Japanese warplanes should never have made it to Pearl Harbor. You see, Americans lost uh, more than 2,400 American service personnel in that invasion. There were 350 50 planes that were destroyed and 18 ships. That, those those uh, planes and ships should never and men should never have been lost. You see, it just so happens that there were a couple of men on the island of Oahu. They were looking at the radar 
and they saw some planes coming. And they immediately, they contacted their superiors and they said, it looks like there's a group of warplanes coming in. And the superiors did not believe the signal. They did not believe the warnings. And they said, well, they're probably just some of our people practicing. Well, the two men thought, you know, the superiors know best. So they went and got breakfast. While they were eating their breakfast, at 7.53 a.m., the first bombs began to fall on Pearl Harbor. And we, we find that that battle began a great conflict that drew the United States into one of the most uh, spectacular wars in history. Why? Because they didn't believe the signs. My friends, you know, the Bible tells us about another sign, another warning that comes to us. The warning signal to us today about the conflict that's to come is found in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation. There the Lord tells us that there are great events that are coming upon the earth. Needless to say, that's happened. We During the Second World War, we saw the atomic bomb. Since then, we've had the hydrogen bomb, cobalt bomb, and various other types of war instruments and devices, constantly being perfected. All of this is making people wonder, is there going to be a great conflict called Armageddon that is going to come upon the earth? And if so, what is it, when is it, and how will it come about? We'll talk about that at a later time. We can also see that today there are many people who don't understand what's behind this and they blissfully go about their business of everyday life. It's when we least expect it that certain things happen. At the very beginning, when God created the world, God created a perfect world. He had people in it, Adam and Eve, who were perfect when they were created. And it was because even though they had been warned by God to watch out for the enemy, they didn't heed the warning signs. And in particular, Eve was caught off guard and then shared it with Adam who by choice made a decision to sin. That's why Adam is considered the one that's at fault for sin entering the world. But little people stop to realize that the conflict that brought so much pain and misery and strife on the earth actually began somewhere else. And Revelation tells us about this. You see, sin actually originated in heaven. It was transported here to earth. And the Bible tells us that long ago, there was a great conflict that took place in heaven among the angels of God. 
Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9 says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Now, who do you suppose the dragon represents? Satan, right. At that time, he was called Lucifer. The word Lucifer means the light bearer. But you see, once he stopped bearing light, he had to change his name. God had to change his name. Today, he is called Satan, which means the adversary. If you go to court and you, you are trying to defend yourself against someone who is arguing against you, that person is your adversary, the one who is making accusations against you, right? So that's what Satan means. He had to change his, his, uh, his name when his character was changed. Remember I mentioned a couple of nights ago that a person's name in the Bible represented his character. If, if a, a president sends someone to a conference, he says, I want you to go in my name. That means I want you to go and make decisions that are in harmony with my character. You see what I mean? As my representative. And so war broke out. Now it's interesting that the name Michael, Michael means one like God. That's what the name Michael means, the one like God. Who is the only one like God? Now, he's also referred to as the archangel. Today, we think of the word archangel, like an archbishop, as being the number one bishop. But actually, the word archangel means the one who is over the angels, you see. One like God who is over the angels. Isn't it interesting that Barack Obama, to you and me, he's the president of the United States. But you know what? The military could care less who's the president of the United States. What they care about is who is the what? Commander in chief, you see. MacArthur ran into that problem with President Truman. And as a result, it wasn't the President Truman that fired him. It was Harry Truman, Commander-in-Chief, who fired MacArthur, you see. Because he was serving two functions. To you and to me, he is the Savior. That's what the name Jesus means. Savior. To an angel... He is the commander-in-chief, you see. And that's why in the scriptures, when it says that Jesus comes back, in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, he speaks with the voice of the archangel. Why? Because he's not talking to you and me. He's talking to the angels. He's saying, go get them, boys. And they, they respond. His army responds. And so what is this? It's a war broke out in heaven, and it's Michael, the archangel, 
who is struggling against the dragon and their respective forces. Now, it's interesting to note that in this conflict, one-third of the angels of heaven joined in with Satan. They were right in the presence of God, and they had to make a choice, and one-third of them chose to go with Lucifer. They weren't deceived. They made a conscious decision. For you and for me, we were deceived, you see. And God had to send a Savior to redeem us. So for salvation, there's no salvation for angels. The scripture says that the hellfire is reserved for the devil and his angels. Now, if you're there... It's because you jumped the fence. You're not supposed to be in there. But if you're in there, you're in there by your choice, not God's. He wants you to be saved. But he's got to respect your power of choice. Look here. It says, But they did not prevail, speaking of Satan and his angels, nor was a place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. He was cast out. You know that was actually an act of love on the part of God? That Satan was cast out. You know why? The scripture tells us that my God is a consuming fire to the wicked. If he had not been cast out, the wickedness would have consumed the devil and his angels. You see, the brightness of Christ, the brightness, the brightness of the Father would have consumed him. But it was actually an act of love that he shipped him away because the devil said, I can run things better than you can. And God basically said, Christ basically said, put up or shut up. If you think you can run it better, do it. But... If you're too close to me, you're going to be consumed. Notice what it says in Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Speaking of Lucifer, who deceives the whole world. Who's the troublemaker? God? Christ? Satan, the one that was kicked out. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. My friends, those angels today are called demons. They're all called devils. Okay? So this war that started in heaven actually was transported down here to planet Earth. Notice what it says now. We're, the other was in Revelation, but notice what I said about how Revelation pulls from different scriptures. Notice this is Isaiah, the prince of the prophets, who's speaking. He says in chapter 14, 12 through 14, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Notice, you weaken the nations. Those who follow Christ, he strengthens them, but he weakened them. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will Exalt my throne above the stars of God. Speaking of the angels. 
I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Now, in the Old Testament, they had a sanctuary. Some of you may be familiar with that, that they carried around in the wilderness. It's interesting to know it had two parts, a holy place and a most holy place. In the holy place, they had a table that had two piles of bread on it. It's called the table of showbread. It symbolized the father and the son sitting side by side. And you know where that was placed? On the side of the north. It was on the side of the north. Directly across was a candlestick called the menorah. That symbolized the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't sit. He's, he's ready to go at all times, you see. And so we find here, he said, I will exalt myself to the side of the north. In plain words, I will sit as a judge on the throne of God. I will boot Christ off and... When the time is right, I'll boot the Father off and I will reign. People will have to come to me for forgiveness. So he says that, and the mount of the congregation is where God's throne in heaven is situated, okay? Notice what else he says about this in Isaiah 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, in this what do you see to be the number one word in there? I. What's the middle letter of sin? What's the middle letter of pride? You see, Satan had eye trouble. Right? He had eye trouble. All he could see was himself. His selfishness was going to have him Stand against the God of heaven. And so Lucifer, his character changed. No longer could he bear light. He was cast out. It's incredible as it sounds that an angel was the one who started all this. Now, you may ask yourself, did God create the devil? I hear that often. Did God create the devil? What do you think? No, he did not. You see, God created Lucifer perfect. And by the way, he was a good musician. Did you ever notice that he uses music a lot to capture, especially the young people? You know, it's music skips your conscious mind and goes straight to your subconscious. Have you ever noticed that People who are depressed seldom sing. Did you ever notice that? When you feel depressed, do you feel like singing? But when somebody, when somebody plays music, especially spiritual music, all of a sudden it can change your whole attitude. It can change your whole mind. Lucifer knows this because he was the choir master as well as the covering cherub in heaven. And so we find that Lucifer, incredible as it sounds, he, because he had all this control of angels, he wanted to elevate himself. He wanted to further exalt himself and be the ruler. 
When he came down here on earth, notice Revelation 13, 1 through 4, it says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Notice that Satan now is working through powers on earth. He's behind the scenes, stirring up evil leaders to make conflict. We'll talk more about those beasts a little bit later. But I want you to notice something. It says further on this, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, as you look at this, you see here there was a leopard, there was a bear, and uh, there was a lion, and a dragon or an undescript beast. You know what? That's Daniel talking. Daniel uses those same uh, images in his vision. And as you look at the book of Daniel, you'll see this, but now, instead of four different beasts coming up out of the sea, he sees a conglomerate beast. You see? It's the dragon or Satan working through powers to try to put down or crush the people of God. We find that He used the Egyptians, didn't he? In the time of Moses, didn't he use the Egyptians to try to exterminate the people of God? We find also he used the Babylonians, didn't he? He used the Greeks. He used the Persians. He used Rome. It was under Rome, it was under Rome that he tried to wipe out Jesus. You see, the conglomerate It's Satan working through history, trying to destroy the people of God. And notice what it says here. And by the way, crowns, because these uh, the horns symbolize uh, powers. Crown, victory. You know. By the way, I don't. This is an aside, but you know why kings wear crowns? Because a crown is a pointy hat, right? Because the ancient kings, whoever wore the horns on his head, he was the head honcho, right? The Vikings, they would wear horns to show who's boss. And so when you see this, it's an indication that These are conquerors that we're talking about. And they were trying to wipe out the people of God. But you know what? God has always had a people. Even though some have gone through a holocaust and all kinds of persecution, God has always had a people and he always will have a people who remain true to him. Even if others go into apostasy, And I saw one of the heads, 
as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed that beast. What is this predicting? In Revelation, it's telling us that there would be one of these persecuting powers. Now, in the book of Daniel, it talks about a little horn that came up who spoke blasphemous words and claimed authority above the other kings. He was a little power because even though the horn was little, yet he had expanded influence because his power came not because of uh, the size of his kingdom, but because of his authority and control over the minds and the hearts and the spiritual experience of people. He was a religio-political leader. And so we find here, we'll get into another time prophecy that tells us that this power would persecute God's people, but then it would, it would uh, receive a deadly wound. But that wound would heal. And this antichrist power, the wound would heal, and then all the world would be amazed at how much he's grown in influence. My friends, I see that in the world today, and we'll get into that when we get to that prophecy uh, more in detail. Notice what it says here in Revelation 13, 1 through 4. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Oh, he's pretty tough. How can we make war with him? But notice, what is the one thing that the devil wants? What's the one word? Worship. The thing the devil wants is worship. Worship is reserved for the God of heaven. It's reserved for his representative who is the savior of the world. Satan is a created being, and no created being deserves worship. It is wrong for us to bow down and worship another human being. And so we find here that he was seeking worship all through the ages. As a matter of fact, he even goes beyond that today without even thinking about it. I wonder if he's tricking us today. How many things do we see on TV that are attracted to us and lead us into thinking that his way of doing things is, is more exciting. I mean, if you, if you have your choice of reading your Bible or watching a video, which are you going to take? In most cases, you'd be watching a video watching a television program, because it's more exciting and stimulating. How many, how many uh, people are, are killed and shot and blown up and everything on TV? You see, we have accepted some of this stuff as normal. You look at the news, and 
there's always a bombing here or somebody having their throat slit there or somebody was shot there. It's telling us that the world is falling down before Satan and following his uh, example. And he's the father of lies. He tried it with Jesus. When Jesus was at his lowest point, he was hungry. Now stop and think about this. You know, when I, when I miss a meal, I think that's a great tragedy. Uh, I get very grouchy when I get hungry. And to go for, I shouldn't say this, but I think most of us could go, it might, might even do us some good if we went without a meal now and then, right? Okay? But stop and think of Jesus. At his baptism, Jesus heard the words of his Father in heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But as we look, we find in the desert, the devil comes to him. Jesus has been out in the wilderness for six weeks without eating or drinking anything. I think he was a bit hungry, don't you? And the devil comes to him and he says, boy, you look hungry. Now, when the devil appeared to him, he didn't appear with horns and a tail. He appeared looking like a bright, shiny angel. You know, seldom do people get deceived by somebody who walks in and says, hi, I'm the devil. I'm here to deceive you. But when they come in and say, I have a message from the Lord for you. That's why we need to check even preachers against the word of God. You are responsible for your own salvation. You are responsible to check it out. And if, if they say something that doesn't sound right, say, uh, could you show me that in scripture? You see, God... I mean, Satan can come in the form of an angel. We saw that um, with Jim Jones. We saw with David Koresh. Very, very dynamic personalities. And they could persuade people. And so it was with Lucifer. He comes to Jesus and he says, you know, there's a bunch of stones all around you. If you are the son of God, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread. You know what? The devil's never tempted me with that temptation. Why do you suppose? Because he knows I can't do it. Right? But could Jesus do it? One time I tried to make bread and I turned bread into rocks. But I've never turned rocks into bread. You see. And, but Jesus could turn those rocks into bread. What was he asking Jesus to do? He was asking him to use his divine power selfishly. And Jesus saw right through it. He didn't buy it at all. And so, what does he do? He says, you're not to tempt the Lord your God. In addition to this, we find that he takes Jesus up on a high pinnacle. 
And he says, he quotes scripture to him. A lot of times people will quote scripture to you, but they'll take it out of context. And he says, well, doesn't it say in the Psalms that you can throw yourself down off this pinnacle and the angels will, will catch you, keep you from stubbing your toe? Go ahead, do it. He was tempting Jesus to be presumptuous. Presumption puts your foot on a banana peel. He, he was trying to deceive Jesus into using his powers for himself. It's interesting that he kept using the word if. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, do that. But Jesus remembered that God said, this is my beloved son. He depended on the word of God. My friends, it is written, is constantly used in the scripture for a purpose. It's saying that Jesus used scripture against the devil. In Matthew 4, 4, it says, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. This is what he told the devil. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's putting the emphasis where it should be. On the word of God. Do you realize that one of the strongest temptations the devil uses with us is appetite? Appetite comes in many ways. It's not just food. It could be an appetite for alcohol. It could be an appetite for sex. It could be an appetite for um, popularity. It could be an appetite for money. Excesses. And notice, he says that man will not live by bread alone. Uh, I remember when I first became a Christian, my dad, he, uh, he tried, I worked with him. He tried to get me to work every day of the week. And I said, I, I'm sorry. I, the Lord told me I, I can't be working tomorrow. He says, well, in the Bible, it says you have to work every day, uh, all seven days a week. And I knew he didn't know anything about the Bible. And I said, okay, Dad, where's this going? He says, well, doesn't it say in the Bible that man shall not live by bread alone? I said, yeah, so what's that mean? He says, well, you not only need bread, he said, but you need meat and potatoes, you need a car in order to make an income, and to have these things, you have to work seven days a week. I looked at him and I said, boy, you must have stayed up all night trying to uh, wrestle that one around. You see, we've got to be careful that we don't take these things out of context but do as the Lord has instructed us. The word of God, David said that he preferred the word of God even to the food that he ate. And so we find that Jesus is telling us we need to follow him. He's the one we need to worship, not the other guy. And as we look at the scriptures, Once again, we're going back to a prophet of the Old Testament. Ezekiel, speaking of Lucifer, he says, You were the anointing cherub who covers. 
Now, the throne of God, and this is illustrated in the temple that, I mean, the tabernacle that they carried in the wilderness. It had the Ark of the Covenant, and the, it had angels on each side that covered the presence of God. Those were called covering cherubs. Okay? And Lucifer was one of those. The scripture doesn't tell who the other one was. When Lucifer fell, there's reason to believe that he was replaced with Gabriel. Okay? But he says, you were, you were right next to God. I mean, here's God here, here you are. How much more can you be in the presence of God and know the character of God? He said, you were the, the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. And your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. How many people in Hollywood think the world owes them uh, uh, obedience and fall down before them because they have, happen to be handsome or beautiful, you see? Pride. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Some people think just because they are very intelligent, everybody else needs to just follow them. Satan was, or Lucifer, was the most intelligent of all the angels. And he did it for his own glory. Just the opposite with Jesus. You see, the devil wanted to take and exalt himself up to godhood. Whereas Jesus Christ was willing to set that godhood aside, come down and take on creaturehood so that he could be our sacrifice. Do you realize Jesus was born to die? He took on human flesh so that he could be the sacrifice. And when he was resurrected, he took his human body to heaven with him. And because of that, he is worthy of our worship. Adam and Eve in the garden... They were deceived because they did not believe what God said. They had to leave the garden. If they had eaten of that tree of life after they had sinned, then sin would have been eternal, you see. But God wants to bring an end to sin. And so out for love for them, he had to cast them out. And he stationed angels around with, with fiery swords to keep them from getting back in there. My friends, when we sin, Adam and Eve felt terrible when they had to leave the garden. I imagine Adam's life from that time on was miserable. Every time a leaf fell, every time a bird dropped to the ground, Adam realized it was because of his sin. My friends, how many times when we sin do we feel separated from God. The scripture says it is sin that separates us from God. God still loves us. He doesn't pull away from us. We pull away from him. He's still there. He still loves us. But we don't necessarily sense it. What God wants us to do is plug back in. Plug back in to the word of God. 
Let him tell us of his love for us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's no sin that you can commit or have committed that God won't forgive if you allow him to. The unpardonable sin is not listening to that Holy Spirit that's calling you to repentance, you see. And so we find that he is the power supply for us spiritually. Look at Isaiah 59.2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. It didn't say separated God from you. It separated you separated from God. And your sins have hidden his your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked up and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you think God really forsook him? God was there. But he did not perceive it. He did not sense it. There was a cloud between him and God. Sometimes we feel a cloud between us and God. He hasn't forsaken us. He knew, he felt every nail that Jesus felt. He felt that crown of thorns. He felt that spear. The Father knows. He sacrificed his own son that we might have life eternal. That's how much God loves you. And even though we may have iniquity or sin in our life, he will forgive it if we ask him to. The blood that he shed was to cover your sins. He took your penalty. He took your second death. You may have to die the first death. You know? I mean, if you have cancer or something, you may have to die this death. But you don't have to die that eternal separation from God. That's what Jesus felt on the cross. It wasn't the pain of the nails that killed Jesus. It was the sense of separation from his Father. This is why it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he loaned his only begotten Son. Isn't that what it said? He didn't loan Jesus to us. He gave Jesus to us. Jesus, before he came to this earth, was probably like God and the, the Holy Spirit could probably be anywhere at any time, pretty much. But he took on human flesh. And when he took on human flesh and he was resurrected from the grave, he took that human flesh with him when he went back to heaven. That's why he says, I will send you another comforter. I can't be with you any longer. I've got to go back to heaven. But I will send you another comforter who can be every place at once. You see. And it is the representative of Jesus Christ on earth is not a man. The representative of Jesus Christ on earth is the Holy Spirit. And anyone who claims that he is Christ's only representative on earth is committing blasphemy. You're taking you're taking a title that belongs to the Holy Spirit, you see. And so, the devil, you know, the devil reads the Bible. He's, he probably knows the Bible better than you do. But 
there's a conflict going on for the human mind and the human heart. And the question is, do we believe Christ at his word? Shackleton, when he was exploring the South Pole, he, his ship got locked to the ice. And what did he do? He had to leave his men on Elephant Island. And as he left, he said, you men stay here. And he took a, just a small boatload of men. He said, I'm going to get help and I will be back. Well, his men waited and waited and waited. They waited about five months. But they had faith in the captain. And you know what? He finally came back. And those men who believed that he would come back to rescue him, them, they were saved. My friends, so it is today. Jesus is coming again in the clouds of heaven. He's coming to rescue his people. I don't know about you, but I want to be among those. Those who are waiting for him and be able to look up and say, this is our God. He will deliver us. He has saved us from Satan and his, his forces. He has saved us from sin. He has paid the price, the penalty of my sin, that I may have eternal life. He received my reward that I might receive his reward. How many of you want to be ready when Jesus comes? By the grace of God, may you have that kind of faith. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your love. And we look forward to the coming of Jesus again. Help us to be faithful and help us to truly be in the word. The things that are in Revelation are about to be fulfilled and already are. Help us, Lord, to see the signs and to heed the warnings. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.